right, we are over halfway through 2021. Really? Yes. Is it that time? Yes. Man. It's it's practically August at this point. Yeah. Uh, but what are your album or albums of the year so far? Like new artists? Yeah, like new albums that came out in 2021. It came out, oh gosh. This that is, is a, what an album of the year is. Well, <laughs> this is a terrible question for me. Cause like I only listen to newer artists like single based and then I've been going back and listening to older albums. Like right now I'm going through a Stevie wonder songs in the key of life throwback thing right now. So like, but uh, let me think about, I have to go through my Spotify. Hold on. Cause I, I literally can't think of this off the top of my head. That's well, how while you're looking, is. I will yeah, share please, mine please while go you're looking. on yours. Uh, Lilithar's. Oh, that's in there. Created from filth and dust. Yes. If you have not listened to that, go listen to it. It's, it's incredible. So good. And it is a debut album under that name. She's done other works before, but under a different name. Yeah. Um, I really like Olivia Rodrigo Sour. Mm-hmm. Maybe I'm 14. I don't know. And there's was one other that I was thinking of on the way over here that has escaped my memory. At the lack of being able to think of the other one, I'm just going to go ahead and say Sob Rock by John Mayer, even though it just came out on Friday. Nice. It's really good. <laughs> yeah, I think, honestly, a lot of the albums... Oh, here's a good one. Back of My Mind by uh, Her. Mm. Oh, uh, yeah, I haven't listened to that yet. She's really good. I ga- actually gave that a listen through last week um, when I was in the airport, and that was it was pretty pristine. Um probably the next one i mean honestly so some of my bands this is why i'm in a tricky spot some of my favorite bands are getting ready to release albums they haven't released it yet so like thrice is getting ready to uh put out a new album and so is coed and cambria so it's like i i feel like the music i've listened to like lilizar definitely her and then i've just been in a oh wait wait Bo Burnham's Inside. I still haven't watched that. I think that, I still haven't watched that. That is definitely up there for 2021. I need to watch that. I'm telling you, Leah, this dude, Kindred Spirits. I feel like, like I know all the songs from TikTok already. <laughs> yeah. I love that special so much. He put so much thought into it. And I love like his style of humor, too. But every song is so good. Like I have been waiting for it to be a musical. Like an actual like Broadway musical. It'll it'll happen. Yeah. Uh, anyway, I'm Leah. I'm Bethan. And this is She Will Rock You. Where did they get in a dump in a CBS executive meeting? No. Bitch, don't touch my thermostat. <laughs> the ghost be like, hold up, before I haunt you, let me turn down the thermostat. Who is this band? We're on page one, guys. <laughs> this is She Will Rock You. All right. We actually have like a lot of things to fly through on the business aspect i forgot to open my review doc so uh pause for a second all right first i want to shout out good pods yes if you are fed up with apple podcast as much as most of the world seems to be because they did some update that makes it impossible to filter like what episodes you've already listened to of a show Mm -hmm. and the world hates them now so if that's you switch to good pods this is not sponsored i we're not being paid anything no even in like but we're happy with their service yes we are very happy with them they have 
They're a very new app, so if you know things don't quite work the way you want them to, be patient. They're only three months old, I want to say. Wow. Um, but they are, if you've ever used the app Goodreads for books, it's kind of like that, but for podcasts. You can add friends and see what they're listening to. You can leave reviews on individual episodes instead of like the whole show. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a very social way to listen to podcasts. And the thing that we love about it, aside from the social aspect, is they are really prioritizing smaller creators. Yep. In a time when Apple is coming out and pushing in-app uh, subscription content, Spotify is kind of doing the same thing uh, and pushing these, you know, Joe Rogan and all these celebrity podcasts. But mainly Joe Rogan. But mainly Joe Rogan. Good Pods actually made a joke that... Uh, Joe Rogan doesn't need good pods. Yeah. So <laughs> if you if you were interested, go over there, support some indie podcasters. Yes. You can even filter their charts by indie only. So if you want to filter out the Joe Rogans of the world and the iHeart radios of the world, mm-hmm. you can not even see them. So shout out to good pods. Item number two is we guest did on some podcasts recently. Yes, did. Guest did. Um, we were interviewed by Jeff from Indie Podcaster. Yes. Super fun interview. The Podfather. The Podfather. Bless me, Podfather, the for pod- I have sinned. <laughs> the Podcast Father, but we oh, always sorry. call him the Podfather. <laughs> <laughs> so if you're listening to this, Jeff, sorry. Um, and I was on an episode of Mimosa Sisterhood to talk about Debbie yes. Harry. If you need more info, they're on our website. Links directly to the, uh, the episode go listen also thank you to those shows for having us on there yes i should say that before i switch topics uh let's read a review okay we'll just read one for today because that was a lot to talk about i'll read the one from our friends at playlist wars perfect which is very fitting because i just recorded with them last night so stay tuned for that and this is from I just said that. This is from Playlist Wars. This is a great music podcast, hands down. Fun content by two very likable hosts, Beth Ann and Leah, who provide a wealth of knowledge about the artists they're discussing, but do so in a fun, laid back way. You're not being talked down to on this show. They also have some fantastic musical guests and have opened my eyes to new artists such as Diamante. Yay. Thanks, ladies. Love that one. And Playlist Wars is a really awesome podcast. Yes. Go listen to Playlist Wars. Uh, I'm just going to ask again. If you're enjoying this show, please leave a review. If you're new to this show, welcome. Yes. You may also leave a review if you'd like. Yes. Leave a review. Uh, even though we're, we're kind of hating on Apple Podcasts today, it does help the most if you leave the review there. Yeah. But you can just pop in, leave a review, and pop out. No one will know. Mm-hmm. All right. As I texted Leah, I finished this with three hours to spare today. Hey. <laughs> a new record. Cutting it close. In my defense, I was on vacation last week. And that's usually when I start really getting the bolts of it done. But, you know, I kept saying, well, I'm going to wake up in the morning. It'll be nice. Get some coffee. Go outside. No. Nah. And then I was like, I'll do it at the airport. But airports are... Fun fact, a fucking nightmare right now. (laughs) I can't imagine why. (laughs) Absolute nightmare. And all you want to do is just get on the plane and leave. Then I was like, maybe I'll do it on the plane. 
but no, I wanted to sleep. So here we are. You don't want to pay for Wi-Fi on the plane. No. But anyway, we're talking about a really fun one. Shocker. I'm not bringing a completely depressive episode this time. We kept it light this month, y'all. Light and airy. Though there are going to be a couple trigger warnings, but they're not as bad as I have done in the past. Um, To the best of my knowledge, no one dies in this one. Someone dies in this one. (laughs) But like... Never mind. (laughs) But like... They're in the story. I don't want to give away. They're okay. in the story. They're impactful to the story, but it's not like an Amy Winehouse situation. Yes. If that makes sense. Um, but while researching, I did not realize how punk this band was. Like mosh pit punk. I didn't think I know that either. I know, because my brain's like, eh, they're a pop punk band, but more like more on maybe more on the pop side. But anyway, this is like ska punk awesomeness and it's so much fun. And we're talking about No Doubt. I'm so excited for this. Yes. Now, trigger warning, there is some talk about suicide. Um, and we're going to talk a little bit about cultural appropriation near the end. I don't really know if that is a trigger warning for people, but I'm throwing it in there just so you know what you're getting into. But anyway, let's start this off. So the band starts at the Stefani home with older brother Eric and younger sister Gwen, otherwise known as future Mrs. Bananas in Anaheim. This is the reason we all know how to spell bananas. Yes. Listen, that is a harder word to spell than you actually think. So thank you, Gwen, for teaching me how to spell that correctly. Eric was born on June 17th, 1967, and Gwen was born on October 3rd, 1969. Their dad was a Yamaha executive, huh? and her mom was an accountant. Now, both parents loved folk music, so dad played guitar, and I believe he taught it as well, and mom played the auto harp, which, for those who don't know, it basically looks like something out of like a drawing of medieval times. Like what you imagine a harp would be in a medieval times, that's what this is. So just a big ass harp. It's like a big ass harp, but like the ones you carry. Like if I'm going from village to village and I'm singing songs about who got defeated in the war of like the roses, like Sir George got beheaded in the war of roses. So it wouldn't sound as hokey as that It'd be in something called a Dorian scale. But, you know, imagine what that would sound like. Does it come with a cool hat? <laughs> yes yes very robin hood-esque hat with a feather going out that's exactly what i'm picturing so that that is the auto harp <laughs> um their family would also play bob dylan and emmy lou harris in the house i also have an emmy lou harris record in my house thank you to my in-laws um growing up eric wanted to play music particularly piano And he would often rope Gwen into playing with him, like for her to sing along with it. And one day, Eric brings home some new music from England called Ska. Uh. And they both fall in love with it. And that included bands such as Madness and The Selector. So since this is our first time talking about Ska, I thought I'd do a very quick crash course on it. No, this is good because I always see Ska and I'm like, I'm not sure I actually yeah. know what that means. So basically Ska, it goes like this. <laughs> okay, hands on demonstration. <laughs> there you go. That's okay, Ska. That's, that's it. There's a trumpet involved usually? Yeah, okay. yeah the, the trumpet is making the burp, 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 yeah. and the car is going ching, 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 ching. Anyway, just kidding. That is not what sky i mean it is it is but i don't mean to boil it down just to that 
It's a very distinct sound, yes, that started in Jamaica in the 60s. And then the punk kids from the 70s in London got a hold of it and are like, cool, we can mosh to this. <laughs> like, I have no other way of describing how this music came to be. And the London version of it was like called the two-tone revival. And it just kept making its way into the 80s and 90s punk scene. So like, it's a very interesting time in history of ska personally because it just all of a sudden was like underground for so long then all of a sudden mainstream and then gone but um burned hot and fast yes but while at a dairy queen we're all great (laughs) 80s stories start (laughs) red spoons everywhere yes Eric meets his new co-worker, John Spence. So he's working at the Dairy Queen. Yes, Eric is working at the Dairy Queen. Okay. And some reports said Gwen's also working at the Dairy Queen, but I don't know how that would work because usually siblings don't work well together. Eh. I mean, you can you can speak to that. I can speak to if John was in the same room with me, like he would just piss me off to the point I'd probably it's like yell at him. It's a Dairy Queen. They don't give a shit. <laughs> probably not as long as you can hold blizzards upside down you're good yeah there you go but good news eric and john both love ska and they decide to form a ska band and eric asks little sis gwen you can join i guess that's completely how i imagine the conversation going based off of my experience with john my brother (laughs) how nice of him yes so they went on to form no doubt in 1986 which blended ska punk and new wave it was named after john's favorite expression so one thing i fucking love about their first shows number one they're in a garage classic like just someone's random garage i'm sure it was like one of their bandmates garages they have this house they talk about in the documentary i watched like where most of their like music was written in this one house and it might be that same house but anyway so people are just like in the neighborhood standing around it's anaheim they got nothing to do Uh, what are they gonna do disneyland yeah disneyland (laughs) eat some oranges like (laughs) that's it that's all there is to do that's all there is to do um but vh1 the documentary i watched shows footage of one of their first shows where everyone's like moshing and Gwen said like bottles were flying and the cops were getting called over ska. I think that's the funniest thing. In about. someone's it's yard. Burp, 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 burp. And then all of a sudden, yeah, fuck yeah. Mosh, mosh, wall of death. Let's go. Pop, pop. Like it just cracks me up. I'm sorry. I don't mean to ditch on ska. No, it's. I just think it's interesting that that's what got people going. picture of it being in like, I'm picturing like a very suburban cookie cutter. White, yes white middle class neighborhood and then there's people raging in this yard <laughs> yes no that is about the footage i watched <laughs> like they are in the garage and people are out in the driveway just like pop 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 doing their little like windmill moves and just you know punching someone in the face by accident over ska that's incredible i don't like like i said ska is you know if you like it you like it i'm not gonna dig on it i just think it's interesting <laughs> to me because i come from like the hardcore scene but anyway with all that said after their first show they are not feeling their bass player <laughs> so they ask a new mutual friend which is kind of embarrassing but you know whatever <laughs> they ask a mutual friend uh and they find tony canal now tony and gwen Gwoni, as we will call them. Oh, no. Start catching feelings for each other. Uh Uh-uh. And they secretly start dating. 
as they didn't want the rest of the band to find out. Because this always works so well. Always. You know, tale as old as time. Now, this is the sad part. A year later, the band did experience a tragedy where John Spence did take his own life, which is really sad. And it was right before a show that was going to be their big break. I forget the name of the theater. But there was going to be some talent scouts out there. They still played the show, but they kind of announced on stage, this is going to be our final show. Oh. But then the bit, and they disbanded for a few weeks. But then they came back together because they're like, John would have wanted this. Which is an awesome move. Yeah. Absolutely honoring his memory. So like, that's a good part of No Doubt is a lot of what they've done is like honoring John's memory. Did not know that. Yeah. So also around that time when they decide to rejoin, they're like, guys, we got to come out of the closet. Tony and Gwen are like, we're dating. And everyone's like, cool. Like no one was upset about it. Like as they kind of imagine, like it's one of those things are like unspoken rule. You just don't date. And then people like really didn't care that much. Yeah. So like, you know, it all works out. So as they're pulling everything back together, they recruit Tom Dumont who quit a metal band a week before to come into the ska band. <laughs> that is quite a career change. Well, I mean, if you think about it, both have moshing. You know, it's more just moving from accounting to uh, finance. <laughs> did you really just equate moshing to spreadsheets? Yes, I did. <laughs> and I dare you challenge me on it because there's a lot of truth in what I just said. And then comes along drummer Adrian Young, who told the band he had nine years of experience Uh-oh. when he lied. He only had <laughs> one year of experience. And I would like to announce that we have a flea situation. Yes. Same exact energy. Yes. Like the dude likes to get naked a lot as he performs show <laughs> energy. <laughs> I feel like drums is the most dangerous (laughs) instrument to get naked to. You're you're absolutely correct. One hit. You're only one (laughs) miss away, man, from like ending your lineage. (laughs) (laughs) But, But yeah, the dude in the documentary, which is I think he was naked like half the time. (laughs) It's just great. (laughs) Did I break you? Yes, I broke her. I have never seen you laugh like this. This is a treat. I don't know why it's just so funny to me. (laughs) Well, anyway. (laughs) Why don't you take a drink of your strawberry freeze? And in the words of Edna Mode, pull yourself together. (laughs) After five years of playing the L.A. circuit, Interscope Records stops by a show and sees people moshing and stage diving like crazy. They also love Gwen's stage presence. And I will say it's like wild to me to see Gwen Stefani going nuts on stage with a mosh pit right in front of her. (laughs) Like those two worlds, for some reason, in my like, 90s baby brain you know doesn't like compute very well but it's cool it's honestly really cool i did not know that about her um they released their first album which was self-titled what's the word epimus i don't know i I gotta see the word (laughs) (laughs) never mind uh the album was self-titled it came out in 1992 
And they went to tour it, which literally looked like them sleeping in vans and eating Taco Bell, which is the dream. It is the dream. Also, at their release party, they gave out no doubt branded kazoos. <laughs> and now I want to sell Shiwaraku kazoos. Okay, that's our next merch item. Yes. Stay tuned. Yes. But here's the problem. It's not their time yet because grunge is having their moment. Mm. 1992. What else came out in 1992? Never mind. Never mind. And people are just not quite ready for ska and punk yet. And because of that, they only sold like 30,000 copies. And the record label sees this and they're just like not going to support the album. And so they like basically like only off that album, they release like one single called Trapped in a Box. And despite this poor sales, the band's like, we're still going to work on another record. But Interscope like pretty much hates all the material. And one thing I want to note in here is Eric because, and I'm going to go a little bit off script here, so hopefully this will make sense. So Eric is the main songwriter mm-hmm. up to this point. And Eric does not like when people come in and just try to like change it, not necessarily from the band, but from like the higher ups. So this really starts causing some tension because the label wants to hire an outside producer to come help. And Eric's just not about that. So after a while, he just really starts weighing on him. He doesn't want to give up creative control. And he just like stops recording and showing up for rehearsals, even though it's in his own house. <laughs> he just hiding <laughs> he upstairs. He just locks himself in, the, in his uh, room eating Cheetos. <laughs> like, um, but in 1994, like he officially leaves the band and he goes to work as an animator on The Simpsons. That's very interesting. Yeah. Which is really cool. And then another blow, Tony ends his relationship with Gwen. Uh-oh. Yes. So Gwoni is no more. But Interscope kind of sees this tumultuous things happening. And they s- decide to sub-license the project to a smaller label called Trauma Records. And then the band gets a very punk idea. Why don't we take our music and push it somewhere else? <laughs> <laughs> this is SpongeBob code for they decided to build their own studio. Hell yeah. And put out their own indie record on a record label they made up called Beacon Street Records, which is, I think, the street where the house was. And they recorded it in a week. In a weekend. A weekend? I'm sorry, a weekend. Um, also, I, I left this out. It's interesting because I think like... So they were technically working on Tragic Kingdom, which is their next album, which we'll talk about. But like this album is kind of like it's like the outtake songs that okay. didn't make it. They just wanted to like get something out there is from what I read. It's kind of a little bit confusing. But anyway, it shocked the hell out of Interscope. <laughs> I can imagine. And they thought they were just recording a single. And Surprise, bitch. Um, but anyway. So the songs are primarily written by Eric and it also means like there's a big tonal shift like on the horizon coming for this band. Um, but the album was called the Beacon Street Collection in 1995 and primarily sold at local shows and local stores, but it outperformed their debut album like threefold Good by the them. end of the year. And but Interscope Records is like, all right, cool, let's get your third album going. And they still sub license it under trauma records which um 
the band said like for this next album they're like this might just be our last album and they're like we're just gonna make this album maybe go on tour and then just go to college and move on with their lives like they were just not seeing the fruit Mm -hmm. of their labor back to guoni because since eric is no longer in the band Gwen is taking the reins and Tom uh, Dumont helps as well and Tony as well but taking the reins is the main songwriter and she's fresh off a breakup Ooh! so guess what source material is for the album album. yes which I just want to say I respect Gwen and Tony's like partnership because it's pretty brave that Gwen is writing about her perspective with the ex in the band. Some Fleetwood Mac shit right there. Yeah, But he's also really chill about her voicing her viewpoint. Like in the documentary, he was like, ah, fuck. But he's like, he's, she still has to give her opinion on it. Good for him. That's what artists do. And like, she would actually call him up and like read the lyrics. Not like Kanye calling Taylor and, uh, you know cutting some footage together but like she'd legitimately call and be like here's the lyrics i'm thinking about and so it wasn't like a surprise like he gets on stage take notes kanye i really respect that like it seems like they're still pretty good friends to this day and do and i know like when she's doing her solo stuff he would help as well and that's what you really you know that's like the best situation they even like in this rolling stone article i was reading like people would go to tony And be like, are you still, like, are you jealous or things like this? And he was like, how funny would it be? Like, him and Gwen were joking, like, if she starts singing the song Don't Speak, which is about them, and he just, like, starts shaking his head and goes off on stage and throws his bass, like, do a big publicity stunt. Like, they were like, yeah, that'd be funny. Like, both of them were like, yeah, that'd be hilarious. They should have done that. They were just like, but that just shows, like, they were really mature about it. And yes, she had her perspective on certain things and he had his perspective, but they really respected each other to ha- know that there's two stories. So I really like that. We there- stand a healthy relationship. Yes. So the name of the album, Tragic Kingdom, comes from Tom Dumont's teacher. That was uh, the name that his teacher gave for Disneyland, Oof. which is hilarious. Um, but while Eric has left the band, we still hear like some of his music, like the music arrangements itself there's still like a good chunk of contribution from him and so Gwen um the album artwork just to give you a little illustration it's like Gwen holding this orange and then the boys are like standing in Mm -hmm. this empty uh orange grove and due to Gwen's persistence she's like Eric you have to be on the cover you were a big part of this and the band didn't really like that from my understanding but like they kind of went along with it because there was some tension at that point so eric is like in the very far background kind of looking off camera and then they did some other photos of like just promo shots and eric's like very far away looking off camera like he's just the dude's upset and i i mean i get it you don't want to this time you started and now hollywood stepping in and be like all right cool we're going to run this, but like, <laughs> um, but the album goes big. It was definitely more successful than the two at first, but it really like grew into success, like near the end of the year and into the next couple of years. Also, I didn't realize, but this album's really good. It, I've heard some of the songs recently. I'm actually really like, because you think like nineties kid, what are the two songs that we hear? Don't speak. I'm just a girl. Yep. They play at our dance, you know, middle school dances and it's just like 
those are really fun songs but like you actually kind of miss when you get become an adult like man these songs actually do slap and then you go listen to other songs like spiderweb and sunday morning and i'm like dude these are really freaking good um but anyway uh we all know like said the first hit i'm just a girl then there were spiderwebs don't speak so just a girl was the first song to finally show up on the charts for them and it peaked at number 23 on billboard 500 and then spiderwebs came after that um but a little bit about i'm just a girl because i've really grown to love this song it was written about being scolded by her dad for staying too long at Tony's house one night. <laughs> and, you know, they have this line about, because I'm a girl, I get my rights taken away kind of thing. But when they would play the song on tour, Gwen would have the dudes in the audience sing, I'm just a girl. And they would do it. And then and then she go to the woman's like, all right, woman, reply back. Fuck you. I'm a girl. <laughs> I love it. Her mom was also very pissed off about this and like wanted to talk to her for like weeks. But literally Gwen was saying it. Fuck you. I'm a girl. Fuck you. I'm a girl. That's incredible. I, goals. Goals. But anyway, the other hit I was talking about, Don't Speak, that is the one that broke through for the band. And it reached number one on the Billboard 100 and stayed there for like 16 weeks. Um, it also reached a pretty good amount of international success. And like I said, the band slowly grows this album into a diamond uh, certified hit. And it is listed as number 441 on Rolling Stone's 500 Greatest Albums of All Time. Hmm. Uh, the record label, Trauma Records, is also doing their damn job and is promoting them, unlike Interscope, who refused to promote them in 1992. So they put them on the Warped Tour circuit and market them to high schoolers, specifically skater slash stoner high schoolers. That's the right market. Uh, they also have the band film a segment for a news channel that would like broadcast in schools because that was a thing in the 90s. Did your school not make you watch this? No. It was called Channel One and we had to watch it every Friday. Yeah. No, literally like I have no memory of this. Not in elementary school. It was in middle school, but. No, because we didn't have TVs in our elementary school. Like like i think high school yes but not in i i do not remember but yeah that's what it was it was the news one channel one yeah channel it one. it was like news hosted by kids it was it was really weird looking back on it yeah but that's what it was on and um they also and this is the creme de la creme of 90s moves they performed at a blockbuster in fresno california that's incredible i love it so much um also a worthy shout out their music videos are just wild like the 90s ones like for example <laughs> don't speak starts with tony looking at a rotten piece of fruit i'm assuming an orange and somehow symbolic of their relationship Ew. then they're playing in an abandoned warehouse then they're in the dressing room and adam puts on black lipstick and then they cut into scenes of shots of the band playing live and then the last scene and this makes sense a band's doing some promo shots in like an orchard in a studio and then slowly they start phasing the band out and it's just Gwen. That makes sense to me. But in the I get in the VH1 behind the series that I was watching in preparation like the band said they were already like going through some stuff as a band and so it actually worked as an outlet to like get out their frustrations. But like do I understand all the symbolism in it? No. But is it still very entertaining to watch? Yes. Also, side note, 
I'm sure you've watched some VH1 behind the music. I did for this for, for from, this one. Yeah, from doing our podcast. Looking back retrospectively, we had a tonal shift issue in the 2000s because the documentary would go, "All right, happy ska music at 140 beats per minute." All right, we're talking about 9/11. Bring it down to sad ska music for 130 <laughs> beats per minute, and then it would last for two minutes. All right, back to happy ska music. Like I was like, "Bro, VH1, read the room." Like it was, it was a fresh wound. Seriously, but like it's 2004 that came out, that's, and that's how they treat 9/11. They really don't have any kind of like tone monitoring when they talk about sad things. They'll yes. Be like, Someone died. Gentle Rolling Stones music played. And then. It's like I never understood how they edited that. Like back then it was like whatever. But like I look back now and I'm like, ooh, they could have been a lot more sensitive on how they approached that. Who approved this? Yeah. But anyway, um, another thing going back to the music videos, Gwen Stefani is so captivating to watch. Like, goddamn, I forgot how captivating she was from like her solo stuff. Like, she knows how to make you feel what you need to feel through the camera. She's just so incredibly talented. She's a queen. And also, why is 90s lighting so iconic? <laughs> Every <laughs> single one of those videos, it's an overexposed shot in a vibrant, bright room that's also made to look dingy. Or a cheese grater. Or a cheese grater, yes. One of the two. Pick one. After all this success, uh, Interscope sees this and goes, wait a minute. Never mind. It was a joke. You're on our label again. <laughs> and basically, they just wanted a piece of the pie um, because they were actually going somewhere. And it just started this bitter lawsuit between Trauma Records and Interscope that they had to settle out of court. Uh, but the band goes and tours the album, which went um, from what was supposed to be two months to two and a half years. Like, that is how big wow. they got. It even included them performing on top of the Radio City Music Hall marquee at the MTV Music Awards. You can get up there? Apparently. That I don't know dangerous. how secure that is. That's from 1920s. I ain't touching it. Nah, not with like, the whole drum kit and everything up there. Yeah, and then Adam's naked, so like... <laughs> I was going to ask, was he naked? Is it Adrian or Adam? I may be calling him Adam, but it should be Adrian. Hold on. Yo, Adrian. This is terrible, but it's Adrian. I'm sorry. If I've called you, Adam, that was not intentional. But um, anyway, so after this album, Gwen starts getting all the attention. And to the point where magazines were calling the band like, hey, be on our cover. And they're like, cool. They're like, well, just fine. And it just pissed off the band, which, I, you know, I do get. Like, they're supposed to be a team. And I think that's a good line of discussion, like, like with media during that time and them only focusing on females and like the rest of the band, like how are we supposed to, I, I just think that's such an interesting point of discussion. I don't know if we can get into it today, but like, first off, I just want to say like, yes, media puts emphasis on females whenever it's a female fronted band, but, but also when you're a front person, that's literally your job. Right, You tend to be the mouth piece like the first example obviously is the struts luke does all the press because he's the front man yeah that's literally your job yeah oh, i agree with you but also like a lot of times like the media also like removes a lot of the complexities to a band and just like simplifies it down to like a female fronted band and said yeah. this is an awesome band right and 
Now, if you're choosing to only interview her just because she is the female in the band, that's the, right. the wrong motivation. If you're just interviewing her as the front woman, that's f- fine. Yeah. I agree with Stay that. Stay tuned for more on this topic coming soon. <laughs> well, that brings up a good point because in an article I read for Rolling Stone, like there was these magazines of a twist her words all the time and they would only want to know about her relationship with Gavin Rossdale from Bush, who she would end up I marrying. I forgot that they were together. Yeah, they I'm were together so for a caught while. Up on Blake Shelton. <laughs> <laughs> but so basically she did this interview for this magazine and they completely twisted her words. And she like turned to her bandmates and said, I'm embarrassed in front of you guys. Not like I'm embarrassed of you. I'm embarrassed that they're doing this to me. And they're like, I wish you would just like fire me if I were you. Like that's how upset she was. And that's a lot of what she'd go through. It's just like, oh, Gwen is a new it girl. Tell me about your relationships. Tell me about this. Tell me about your fashion. And it's just such a focus on her as a female, not her as just a front woman musician. If it was a front man, they would not be asking, who are you dating? Yeah, exactly. So after the success of Tragic Kingdom, the band starts spending a lot of time working on a new album, like three years. That is a lot of time. It is a lot of time, but it is good. In addition to the two that they were touring, so it's been like five years? Yes. Okay, so, that is a very so long time. Tragic Kingdom came out at the end of 19, or in the middle of 1995. But to be fair, they had recorded Beacon Street that same year. Yeah. But, you know, like, you know, it's always good when bands do take a little bit of a break because they get to focus on it, put their feet up, relax a little bit. But first, they do did do a fun project where they recorded a song called I Throw My Toys Around for the Rugrats movie. Am I only putting this in here to cite the Rugrats fan wiki? Yes, I am. I forgot that there was like a whole yeah. made for that movie soundtrack. Uh-huh. Yeah. And then they also helped contribute the Clash um, a tribute album to uh, London Calling. Mm. Uh, but there's also just a lot of pressure on this band. Because once you have that one big album that blow up, you got to match that success, mm-hmm. which very seldom happens. But the band does change their sound a little bit. They're going more reggae and punk influenced. And the album released in 2000. It was received pretty well by critics. But what's it called? It's called, sorry, Return to Saturn. Okay. Is the name of it. Fun fact, Adrian's naked on the cover. I need to find this cover. It's pretty great. And Gwen is sporting pink hair. And I love pink hair Gwen. I do like pink hair Gwen. I'm a fan of the pink hair Gwen. It's a look. It is a good look. But anyway, um, uh, but like the most notable hit from that is Ex-Girlfriend, which is a pretty good song. Um, And that album was nominated for Best Rock Album of the year which was really awesome but it did not match the success commercially of tragic kingdom now i've titled this next section the beginning of gwen solo now there's a star wars star wars joke in there somewhere but i haven't found it yet um but basically this is when gwen like really starts like doing some solo projects with other artists like she did one with a dj named moby and like when i heard the song i like faintly remembered it the only reason i know who moby is is from how i met your mother oh really (laughs) that's funny and then she did a song with eve and we'll just like eve was everywhere yeah she was or uh early 2000s yeah Yeah. no she was so while they are touring 
that album the band would throw these like after parties that were like jamaican dance hall themed hmm. and that would become like the next influence of their next album called rock steady and this is a departure from ska because like we mentioned a lot of genres in the 90s burned hot and fast yep grunge in for three years ska in for like two or three years and then it went into like more alternative rock and that kind of stayed around a little bit until it went into like emo and hardcore and warp tour and all that so this goes more new wave electro pop and because of this obviously the songs are more playable because that is where pop is going mm-hmm. in general but they recorded this album in three different places la london and jamaica and i think that's what gives it such a unique sound too mm-hmm. um the album was released in 2001 uh near the end it did pretty well and it sold too many two million copies it was also on num- it was number 316 of rolling stones 500 greatest albums of all time in 2003 but it contained hits such as hey baby and i went back and watched the music video it is so 2000s like i just went and looked i'm like this is 2000 written all over it i feel like everything filmed in the 2000s is cringe now yes i feel that too and then 90s is seen like oh man nostalgic but everything like 2000s we haven't came out of the we're not in the nostalgic phase now and then the other hits were underneath it all and hella good so from 2003 on it's an interesting time for no doubt because they're putting out greatest hit albums and usually when that happens usually means a hiatus is on the horizon indeed at least that's the way i've always seen it but um or they want more money or they want more money but they did play some shows, including the 2003 Super Bowl, which I have to say in the crowd was a lot of Mohawks, uh, <laughs> both from the crowd and the punk cheerleaders had these awesome Mohawks. And I'm pretty sure like this is the only point in history when punk and American football coexisted peacefully. Probably. Yeah. <laughs> that would not fly today. No, no, it wouldn't. And then like a little bit of bullshit that kind of annoyed me because I watched the whole show. So it was Shania Twain, No Doubt, and then Police. What was with these random ass pairings in the that era? Know. That's like the Britney Spears in sync yeah. Aerosmith mashup. Yeah. It doesn't make sense. And so like this this kind of annoys me. So she they sing Just a Girl. And then Sting comes out for no fucking reason. He was in the lineup, but then he just starts singing message, message in the bottle for a long fucking time. Like he just can't get to the point. I know it's a me- I know you're sending an SOS. I know it's a message in the bottle. Move on. But like he sings it a lot longer than Gwen does and Gwen like joins him, but it still like bothers me because like I feel like we could start a whole series on this. Like Super Bowl shows at least for the 2000 era are shit that but they didn't believe a woman by herself could carry a show until our queen gaga yes until gaga well probably perry did it but no no she still had she was upstaged by a shark that's true she was upstaged by i forgot left shark (laughs) left shark holy shit i forgot about that but like like i said to be fair like shania twain was top billing so she did play a few songs that's fair like majority songs and i'm cool with that but then like no doubt only got like two minutes and then like sting comes out on stage and sings for like four minutes and it just really annoys me that like it couldn't just be shania twain and no doubt it had to be another like i went and i looked and i was like there's always a dude that's always even a female's headline except for the 
except for Diana Ross. Huh. That has been the only time where there's always has to be a guy that has to be like, it can't just be a woman. I hate And that's why woman. whenever it was like, uh, Gaga, like that was one of the first times a woman by herself. And it is the best halftime show we've ever gotten. Correct. She sings the, the, you know, God bless America. And she jumps off the stage. Yes, it's great. We, were, we were all like, what the hell is happening? It's so good. But anyway, so around this time, so it's Oh three, we're getting into Oh four. Gwen is starting her solo career and it's, you know, it's also at this really interesting juncture in time where the band, like Adrian gets married. He has a kid. Tom goes and starts his own solo project called Invincible Overlord. And Gwen gets married to Gavin Rossdale. And I believe they have a kid at this point. Like right around this time is when I think they have a kid. But anyway, I couldn't find the full answer. But she goes and does her own solo project in the pop world. And in 2004, she launches her debut solo album, Angel Love Music Baby. And isn't it Love Angel Music Baby? No, it's Angel. Uh, maybe you're right. Love Angel Music Baby. It's a lyric in one in the song. Yeah. I forgot how good the song What What You Waiting For Yes, is. it's so good. Oh, it's been in my head for like three days. And her outfits, damn, those outfits. Like they were so, that music video is so good. But anyway, so then in 2006, she also does The Sweet Escape. And her goal with these albums were try to modernize like the new wave music, mm-hmm. which was still true to New Doubt. But she wanted to do it in like for a younger audience. So while she went in pop, Nothing wrong with that. I think she really did bring a rock influence into it. And it was different than anything else on the radio in 2006. Yes. Oh, it really was. Like, I loved Gwen Stefani, like, solo stuff. The songs were a, a bop. Uh, every song was a bop. But like I said, all this usually spells hiatus. And that's what happened. Because basically, the band takes this long hiatus. And they come back around, like, 2009. And they finally start playing some shows here and there. In 2012, they finally released a new album called Push and Shove, um, which re- was released like 11 years after Rocksteady. And the album did okay. Um, the biggest two hit, sing- hit singles from that is Settled Down and Looking Hot. And this is a segue into this next section that I don't really want to be talking about, but I feel like we have to address it because it's important to talk about. And we're going to start with the music video for Looking Hot. So there has been this conversation recently. I've seen it on TikTok. I've seen it in articles. No, about It's about No Doubt and Gwen Stefani in particular around cultural appropriation. And with the Looking Hot music video, which was released in 2012, they do a cowboy, quote, cowboy and Indian theme. I didn't Not my words. that this video was that recent. Yeah. Yeah. And Gwen Stefani dresses as an indigenous American and the video was pulled like the day after yeah yeah and basically were like they issued this apology and they said like well we consulted with this indigenous American professors at the American Indian Studies Center in University of California however <laughs> they wrote an open letter and they said they were just not thrilled with how indigenous Americans were portrayed especially indigenous women who have gone through so much like, there's just so much trauma there. But they did, you know, end up commending them for removing the video. But still, that launches this conversation of this is just not the only time this has happened. And unfortunately, there seems to be a pattern. And it is, 
I hate to say is on Gwen Stefani's side. So going back to the 90s, Gwen is often pictured with like a bindi type gem, which is a sacred religious symbol of the Hindu mm-hmm. faith. And in an interview, she said she was inspired by Tony Canal's mother, who they are of Indian descent. And she liked the symbolism of it. Cool. Um, but she goes, um, but she, throughout the 90s, she was always seen with it. So it's very hard to get photos <laughs> yeah. with that because we don't want to offend people who do believe in that faith so um we won't be showing any photos but we are going to doctor a couple we're not going to yeah. tell anybody uh, but if you're seeing our photos just don't think too hard yeah um but when she does go solo she uses harajuku girls yes as her backup i dancers. remember that phase yeah so well i know and like that caused controversy but the controversy didn't really come until recently. However, well, it was her whole brand too. She it made was like her whole brand. a clothing brand and a fragrance and everything was Harajuku yeah. girls. No. And in her lyrics off love angel music, baby, like she talks about like she loves that culture and that's cool and all like, it's cool. If you love a culture, there's nothing wrong with it. However, I'm just going to get to the words of actress, comedian, Mar- Margaret Cho. Because she wrote an article in 2005. And I'm going to pull some quotes from this article that she wrote. She's, quote, Now she has four things all together. The Harajuku girls. I want to like them. And I want to think they are great. But I am not sure if I can. I mean, racial stereotypes are really cute sometimes. And I don't want to bum everyone out by pointing out the minstrel show. And I didn't state this. Uh, Margaret Cho is a um, Asian American actress mm-hmm. and comedian. And then another quote is, even though to me, a Japanese schoolgirl uniform is kind of like blackface, I am just an acceptance over it because something is better than nothing. And while these are pull quotes, it just really breaks my heart, especially after reading the whole thing, that her experience is that in order for a voice to be found in American culture of Asian culture, it was like, we'll take what we can get. Mm -hmm. And that's just not okay because, like, no one should feel like their culture is to take what they can get. Mm-hmm. Like, we should be lifting those cultures up and those people within them up, mm-hmm. ultimately. But with Gwen Stefani, like, I would really just love to see her just given a sincere apology and just take a lesson from it. Because in the 90s and 2000s, it was culturally acceptable. Yeah. People were fine with it. They didn't bat an eye. And I truly believe, like, I mean, there's also this Hollywood image where white women have like incorporated cultural imagery that's not their own. And the issue is it goes to their own profit. Mm -hmm. That's where the issue is coming from. It's not that she doesn't appreciate the culture. I truly believe like she actually loves these cultures. Yeah. Yeah. Like there's, it's not her like, that's cool. I'm going to make money out. Like she's actually, I'm going to give her the benefit of the doubt that that's not how she's thinking. Um, but she's failing to see that she is benefiting off mm-hmm. of other cultures while those voices are being suppressed. She made so much money yeah. off of the the products that she labeled with her Harajuku girls line. Right. No, exactly. And like even even as early as May of this year, she still like will not apologize for it. Yikes. And it just upsets me because I'm like, you're a really awesome artist, but you're not seeing like in her eyes, she truly sees it as I'm bringing these cultures to the limelight, but it doesn't 
always have to be you. Yeah. Like I wish she would see that you can support other cultures. Like the best way to support other cultures is to give them the mic. Yeah. And listen to the people from those cultures. That is the best way to bring that culture into the limelight. So anyway, that's my soapbox about it. It had to be brought up, even though I promised you a fun episode. It has to be brought up because it has to be addressed. It's and I truly hope, I really hope she apologizes for it and just learns from it. Listen to the voices in those communities that you're profiting off of or you have profited mm-hmm. off of. Listen to their voices. What are they saying? Listen to their commentary. So we'll see. But anyway... How has the band impacted culture? And where do they stand today? Well, I think it could be argued they're one of the biggest ska bands of all time. They're probably the only one I can name. So, yeah, Like, Sublime is the other one I can name. And then there was this Christian band we used to listen to called the OC Supertones. And that was my first concert. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sorry. No, it's all right. I'm sorry, too. (laughs) Mine was Britney Spears. (laughs) Oh, you bastard. (laughs) Lucky you. And, um, but like grunge, that genre didn't last too long, as we kind of discussed. Um, but I also do think, like, despite what we talked about with cultural appropriation, which I disagree with, to disagree with, obviously, they are a fun band to listen to, especially that Tragic Kingdom era. Mm-hmm. And like I said, the music videos are really fun. They're all over the place, but I love them. They're just so much fun to watch. As far as for No Doubt and where they stand, their last performance was 2015. And they haven't officially said they've broken up, but they have been on another long hiatus. In 2016, Tony Canal, Tom, and Adrian formed their own super group called Dream Car with Davey Havoc from AFI, which is really cool. But Stefani was um, recently interviewed by Apple Music, and they're like asking, because she's getting ready to release some new music, and they're like, so, you know, what about No Doubt and all this stuff? And I don't know whether she's like diverting attention away from it, like the subject of it for like a big reveal or if she truly doesn't know what the future holds. But there's been a lot of like some reporting on it and it's been very ambiguous. But either way, their first album, the self-titled one, is turning 30 years old next year. I don't like that. I don't like it either. Because I was also born in 1992. <laughs> I don't like that. Yeah. But anyway, I'm sure we'll find out if there's new No Doubt music on the horizon. And that's all I got. That was a longer episode than I expected. But then well, again, we laughed for 10 minutes. You so. lost me for five minutes. <laughs> I was hyperventilating on the couch. Uh, what are you drinking? I'm drinking water. <laughs> I'm drinking a Taco Bell strawberry freeze. I did drink a Baja blast freeze. Because we don't trust 7-Eleven anymore. No, they broke our heart. Too much disappointment. Yeah. for listening we'd love if you left us a review on apple podcast or good pods yes a special thanks to death of fawn for our intro riff you can visit our website at shiwaraku.com there you can find links to our socials show notes ways to contact us and our merch shop Woo! and remember don't do drugs but listen to ska if you feel like moshing <laughs> <laughs>